Lord, for joy, for the Lord desires to be with you. says many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty I myself am going and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him this is what the Lord Almighty says in those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy for the Lord desires to be with you. Mars Hill. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kyle Lake. I serve as one of our pastors here and a welcome on this unofficial start to summer. Uh, yes, last week felt much more like summer than Friday, right? Uh, and uh, as we were, were going through this week and as I was thinking about summer, I was drawn back to last summer. Because uh, the end of the summer is one of my favorite times of year. Now, I know that's terrible to think about. We're just beginning summer, and I'm already beginning to think about the end of summer. Uh, but I was recalling a, a time when our recent graduates, our seniors and I, we had a celebration. And uh, last year, as, as many of you know, things just got thrown up in the air. And a lot of the milestones and different ways of celebrating this transition from high school to post-high school just didn't happen. Uh, 
Well, we found this, this little window in August to celebrate our seniors with a day at uh, a lake nearby. And so we were out all day on this boat. Uh, the students, they were water skiing, wakeboarding, tubing, doing those sorts of things. And it was becoming late in the day, sort of that magical hour when, uh, as you know in August, it gets a little bit cool in the evening, uh, but the water is still really warm. And I thought to myself, you know what, I've got to get out there on the tube at some point here and show these young bloods what's up, right? That as the youth pastor, like, I can't let them go and leave and not see that I still have a little bit of life and energy left in me. So I get there, I get on this tube. And uh, we've got another tube out there, and there's uh, another student out there on the tube. And uh, we're starting to go. And I'm on the right-hand side, and we make that left-hand turn. And it's that beautiful moment where uh, those that have not done math in a long time begin to run through the calculations of calculus. Okay, what is the speed that I'm going to hit the apex, the, the mass and the velocity of the person next to me? Are they going to knock me off my tube? And I was trying to run through these calculations as quickly as possible because I wanted to not only show uh, these students what's going on, but I wanted to do a move on this tube that I haven't done in years. I wanted to barrel roll the tube where I would throw one end down, twist my body in the water, and throw the tube back up on top of the water to show them I am the greatest. <laughs> and so, you, you, in some ways, you have to time this right. You have to hit the apex and just go for it. So we're coming out, I'm seeing the boat, I'm hitting the, we're hitting the speed, and I throw the tube down, and I begin to roll, and I, I get it to about here. And I realize quite quickly that my mid-30s body is not the same as a mid-20s body. <laughs> and now I am clinging onto the tube for dear life because I don't want to let go. I don't want to be the one that let goes first and is in the water. And on top of that, I still have a, a childish fear that this will be how the horror movie begins. That the Loch Ness Monster will come and swallow me in this inland lake in Michigan, right? And so I am clinging and holding on to this thing. And eventually, I just have to let go. We all cling to different things in our lives, don't we? To what or to whom are you clinging? Here in uh, this vision of Zechariah that we get at the end of chapter 8, uh, we're told that 10 people, which in sort of the scriptural imagination is a way of just talking about a lot of people, Right? The, the numbers are just made up and they don't matter at some points in the Bible. But here it's, it's sort of talking about a, a lot of people, a complete number of languages and nations are going to come to Jerusalem and they're going to grab hold. They're going to get a firm hold. They're going to they're grasp. They're going to cling 
to the hem of the garment and say, we must go with you because God is with you. And this point, this part in our story comes about because of what has happened beginning in chapter 8. In fact, chapter 8 plays out a lot like a Rube Goldberg-like device. How many of you are familiar with, with this sort of understanding, a Rube Goldberg device? These are sort of uh, things where if, uh, oh, burp, burp. there we go, where one action leads to another action, which leads to another action, which then eventually down the road brings it to completion. If you go and you do an internet search on uh, your mobile computer, you'll be able to pull up these all over and you'll end up spending probably a good chunk of the afternoon watching these things because they're really fascinating. Well, chapter 8 begins to play out like that. Here's how it begins. At the start of chapter 8, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Chapter 8, the initial action, the first thing that plays out is God dwells. That because God is a God of love, a God of passion, a God of relationship, that desires to be in relationship with all that God has made, that God is jealous for creation. Now, this word jealousy in our sort of cultural context can get a bit muddled. It has a bit of an edge to it. But here in, again, the scriptural imagination, it's a way of describing and talking about God's burning love, God's fierce passion for all that God has made. And so the story begins, the initial action is that God dwells. And for those to whom Zechariah is speaking, this is powerful and good news. Because where God dwells is the overlapping of heaven and earth. You see, in the ancient Near East context, which this story is coming to us from, for the Israelites and the surrounding cultures, the place where God dwells the temple is the overlapping of heaven and earth. It's the meeting of these two realities. It's the place where, where that God's rule and reign begins. And so a lot of times you see the temple finds itself in the middle of a city. Not, not only because that's a convenient place to, to place something of importance, but because in the middle of the city, everything else gains its orientation. Everything else gains sort of its trajectory, its way of operating in the world. And in the middle of the city, it's a way of saying this place right here is where it all begins. And so this story that God would once again dwell in Jerusalem is really good news 
because for a people that are coming out of exile, returning to the city, hearing that God will once again dwell in their midst, that heaven and earth will overlap, that God's rule and reign will be there, is powerful. Because where heaven and earth overlap, we see here in verse 4, that people grow old, that children begin to play in the streets again because they have no fear for war or poverty, that the city is bustling with energy and life and vitality, and that the fields and the vineyards are bursting at the seams because this God the God who dwells, the God who is full of love and passion and generosity and beauty and abundance is a God who gives generously to all. And so that's how this scene begins, is with God dwelling. And because God dwells, God calls a people. That because this God is a God of love and relationship, that when this God dwells and moves into the neighborhood, that this God calls a people to God's self. And we see here as chapter 8 begins to unfold, that these people were to come and to worship that they were to participate in the very life of this God, the enacting of the overlapping of heaven and earth. That in some ways they were to take the rule and reign of that God that is, that is found and discovered in the temple and to begin to move it out into the world, much like a rock hitting in the middle of a body of water and it rippling out. So too the people were to be like that rippling out God's rule and reign, participating in the life of God. And so this draws us back into the story of Deuteronomy, one in which we spoke earlier this morning, that the people enacting this kind of overlapping of heaven and earth would love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, their might, their resources, and that they would love their neighbor as they love themselves. They're invited to participate in that kind of being and existence because they were representing and enacting that God. And here Zechariah goes on to say specifically some ways that they can do that that they can enact sort of the overlapping, the God dwelling in their midst. Here in chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, he says this, These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all of this, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. 
And so here we have some specific instructions. Again, here's how to live out this reality. That because God dwells, and this God is a God of love and passion and relationship, that this God desires blessing and flourishing, this God calls a group of people to be God's own, to enact that rule and reign, to be a blessing to the nations, to be a light in the world, that all the nations would be blessed through them, that suddenly the nations take notice and they want to join the party. How many of you have ever been to a place where there are a lot of different food options, like the downtown market or a fair, and you've made your selection, you've chosen your item, and you're walking around, and then you notice something, and you're like, I didn't know they had that. Where did that come from? Elephant ears? And you're, you're like beginning to follow, like where, Take me to the elephant ears. Here's all my money. I don't care. The nations begin to notice. They see what is happening over here. They see what is happening in this community, in these people, in this city, how they are speaking truth to one another, how they're living lives of justice and righteousness, how there's abundance and love and peace and joy because this God that they worship is a God of those things and is dwelling in their midst. And so suddenly the nations begin to take notice and say, we want that. We got to have a part of that. We have to have a taste of that. We can't waste one more minute, one more second. We cannot slow down. So they grab hold and say, take us with you because God is with you. To whom or to what are you clinging? Here in the end of Zechariah, this word that is used to describe the nations taking firm hold of clinging to the hem of the garment, it's not a dispassionate clinging. It's not a lackadaisical sort of like, I guess we'll just Go along with them. No, this word is used throughout the Old Testament to describe one party, one person trying to exert their will over another. It's used to talk about Moses grabbing the tail of the snake, David grabbing the beard of the lion. Saul grabbing the hem of the garment of the prophet Samuel, begging for forgiveness. And here in this story, we see the nations having a passionate holding on to, a passionate grabbing, because they see so clearly that these people, that that nation, who worship that God, have something incredible going on, and they want to join the party. Last week, we as a church, and churches all around the world, celebrated 
the day of Pentecost, a day in which we are reminded that God continues to dwell among us, that God has not abandoned us, that God has not forsaken us, that indeed hundreds of years after this story took place, that there was another story where God dwelt. God dwelled in a temple not built by human hands, but a temple of flesh and blood, a temple where heaven and earth overlapped in the person of Jesus Christ. And where this overlapping of heaven and earth, this rule and reign of God that was at hand, called a people to God's very self, called out of grace, come experience the rule and reign of God. And that these people were to be a light to the nations, were to bless others, and that people began to take notes, that people of every tribe and every tongue began to say, I want to be a part of that party. And at Pentecost, the people were given the great gift of the Holy Spirit, an advocate, a comforter, a friend, a reminder and a sign and a seal that God is with them, that God has not forsaken them, and that God is dwelling among them. And so God dwells. But as we saw, God doesn't only dwell. And because God dwells, God calls a people. And just as the Israelites were to be a blessing to the nations, a light shining into the darkness because they were clinging so closely to God, because they were so clinging to this overlapping of heaven and earth, that they would reflect that God into the world, so too, Mars Hill, do we cling to something. That in the midst of a city or a neighborhood, in the midst of a community, the church is to be a light shining into the darkness. The church is to be a community of blessing. The church is to be a community that enacts the rule and the reign of the God that we love, that is in within God's self, the overlapping of heaven and earth. That the church is to be a community of abundant love and generosity, a community of truth-telling, a community of righteousness, a community of justice. That is who we are to be. And then we proclaim that the transforming power that at work in us is not our own, but that it's God's. That what we cling to, what we hold on to, is not a person, or a program, or a building, or a location, or an idea, but we hold on to Jesus Christ himself because he is the overlapping of heaven and earth. And he is our way 
And he is our truth. And he is our life. And it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And it's in him that the disciples said, where else shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And it's the hem of his garment that the woman in the gospel cling to, knowing that if she could just reach out and touch it, it would bring healing and it would bring restoration. And church, when we grab onto Jesus, there is healing. When we cling on to Jesus, there is hope. When we cling on to Jesus, there is love. And that is who we are called to be by God's grace. And in some ways, the vision that we see here in Zechariah has already come true in our midst. For it says, In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. And there is one man, a Judaite, one born in Bethlehem. And it's of him and of him alone that we say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you, that you are God with us. And so to what or to whom are you clinging? A few years ago, we took the family to Disney World. And my wife, bless her, she was seven months pregnant with our son Judah. And it was early July in Florida. I mean, she is a saint. A saint. And so we would often look for places with air conditioning at Disney World, which are few and far between. Things like the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> Come on. Gift shops. And uh, we were at the Animal Kingdom and we heard that in the Tree of Life, that there is an air-conditioned sort of amphitheater, a movie theater. And so we're like, all right, let's go there. So we go there. And it's a, a 3D showing of sort of parts of a bug's life. And so it's me, our three-year-old daughter, Clara, and my wife. And we're in this, and we've got the 3D glasses on. But what we come to discover, this isn't just a 3D show. It's one of these, like, 4D things where there's water spraying you, that there's bugs running under your seat. It feels like mice are running up your leg. I mean, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> And our three-year-old, right, has these three things, these goggles on. And the first time, like, the snake comes flying out 3D, she has the glasses off and is full-on koala bear up in my face, right? And she's just clinging on, holding on for dear life because she's terrified. 
She's afraid. And in that moment, as, as a loving father, I'm holding on to her, trying to promise her it's going to be okay. That as much as she is clinging on to me, I am clinging on to her. And in some ways, in a mysterious and beautiful reversal, that as much as we cling and hold on to God, God clings to us. That when we come to this table here, every single Sunday morning, we're reminded that in love and in grace, God holds on to us. That God holds firm to us, that God grasps a hold of us, that God clings to us and desires to be with us. That God longs to be one that holds us and care for us. And so to what or to whom are you clinging this morning, Mars Hill? Because to what and to whom God is clinging is you. God clings to you. And so as we move towards the table, we get to speak these words together. God dwells with us. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Thanks. And so uh, we pray. Send your Holy Spirit, triune God of love, that the bread that we break and the cup that we bless would be to us the body and blood of Christ. And that in receiving these gifts, that we may be your people. That we may enact your story in the world. That we may be a blessing and a light to the nations. And that as we enjoy this feast and we enact your story, others would want to join as well. And so draw close to us, O God, as you always have and as you always will. But especially today, in this moment, in this time, and at this table. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so we're told throughout Scripture that God draws near. But that particularly as the life of Jesus was coming to an end. He gathered his closest friends together and he shared a meal with them. And during that meal, he took, he took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, after they had eaten their dinner and they were filled, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the, the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we come to this table and we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And what's more, we proclaim this great mystery of our faith that we speak together every Sunday, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so come, come taste and see that the Lord is good. Come taste and see that God is dwelling in our midst. Come taste and see that God calls you to be God's people. And come taste and see that the nations are welcome to join the party. For God clings to us. God loves us. And God says, come. Everything is ready. And so there are elements at the tables, and we invite you to come as you're ready. Come, eat what you are, drink what you are, the body and blood of Christ.